With me to the Gospel of Luke, or you're welcome to look in your <clears throat> uh, bulletin. Uh, we print the text out every week uh, so that you can have it. And uh, it's your job to inspect the Word of God, not just to uh, take by faith everything I say. Uh, I hope you would be like the Bereans, that you would search the Scriptures diligently and to make sure what I say is accurate, because uh, I am not uh, perfect, I'm flawed. Uh, but I try my best to do that, but I would make sure and encourage you that you make what, what is heard to you is God's Word and uh, that you do God's will. So uh, let's give our attention to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, if you're joining us uh, today, this is a, a third part of a four-part series. I've been preaching through the songs in the Gospel of Luke. There are four songs. Uh, we looked first at uh, Mary's Magnificat, which was the song she uh, sang when she heard that she would be the mother of Jesus. The next was the Benedictus, uh, which was Zechariah's song as uh, the angel, or I'm sorry, God removed his discipline. And uh, at, at the circumcision of his son, the naming of his son John, uh, he erupted in praise uh, for the goodness uh, God had done by uh, bringing redemption and also the call on his son's life to be the forerunner um, of Jesus. Well, today we're going to look at the third song that's in the gospel, and it's called the Gloria. It's the song the angel sings. So uh, please give your attention uh, to God's word, and uh, this time, Luke chapter 2 reads, And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this Christmas story text, which has been read probably millions of times in your church. And as always, it produces great fruit. And we would ask, Lord, that you would again use this story in our hearts and minds to produce great fruit in our souls, fruit for your glory, and fruit which bears other fruit. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, ever since uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, mankind has looked for the promise of salvation. 
the promise that one day through the seed of woman that a savior would be uh, born, that would smash the head of the serpent. And during that time of, of man's life, during the seasons of man, news of this appointed birth began to trickle down. It came through the different prophets, and it finally came to Mary and Joseph. And the Jewish people had been expecting the coming Messiah. And now the time was at hand. The climax had come. Christ was being born. So what God did is he sent his messenger to announce this birth. Now throughout history, there's been many great announcements in our history as mankind. Some of you remember the great announcement of Paul Revere. The British are coming. And others probably remember Neil Armstrong's announcement. The eagle has landed. Or perhaps if you stayed up late at night, you might remember Ed McMahon's announcement of here's Johnny. Throughout human history, there's been tons of announcements. But the announcement that was about ready to happen on that night out in the fields was like none other. You see, all other announcements pale in comparison because the announcement that the Messiah had been born had no parallel. This was the ultimate announcement that Christ indeed had come. Well, prior to this account, four people had been specifically told by angelic messengers that Christ was about ready to come. They were Mary and Joseph and Zechariah. And I add Elizabeth because everybody and anybody knows that if a spouse hears something like this, they're going to tell their beloved. All four of them knew Christ was coming. But today we're going to look at the first public announcement. The announcement of Christ's birth. The parents were told. The parents of the forerunner were told. And now the public announcement comes. Now often when announcements are made, they're usually made to the closest relationship. Obviously God did that in the announcement to Mary and Joseph and the announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth. But now the announcement comes to the public. Oftentimes when this happens, we usually go to our friends and family first. More specifically our family. Remember back when you got engaged or when you were about ready your family was about ready to have a child. You usually called mom and dad, most likely, or if not, you called a dear friend. But in our account today, we see something quite different. You see, this announcement is made to a group of shepherds. Now, shepherds are not the most welcome bunch. Uh, they're quite an interesting bunch, should we say. By nature of their job, by nature of their duty, they were unclean in Jewish times. And the reason why that is they often had to handle dead animals. And by being unclean, they could not come to worship. They could not uh, uh, be a part of that until the time of cleansing, till a proper sacrifice had been made. Also, uh, shepherds were also known not to be those of the highest moral standards. 
I like what Ligon Duncan, the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi, speaks about shepherds. He talked about one of his professors in England who talked about the Scottish shepherds on the north side of the border who would often look across the border and see those English sheep who had never had the privilege of grazing in the lush pastures of Scotland. And they would often liberate those English sheep so that they might enjoy the experiences of the Scottish countryside. Well, apparently that time honored, or apparently that is a time honored problem amongst shepherds. Every sheep needs a better shepherd, and they would often steal from one another. And that was certainly the case in Palestine during those days. But of all the people in the whole wide world, the father could announce the birth of his child to, to the public, he chose these shepherds that were in the field. And it, and not only as we see this, it should, as we, we ponder it and as we think about it, it should seem odd to us as well. Why a bunch of shepherds? Why would God go talk to them? Well, the answer is, and it's something we've already heard in the messages that Mary and Zechariah gave, is that this God of the universe, this God that you and I serve, this God Almighty, is not aloof. He's not only with those who are the high and the noble and those who are gifted, but as Isaiah says, though he lives in a high and holy place, he is also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. You see, when we see God's announcement to the shepherd, we learn something about God himself. God loves the unlovable and the unloved. He is not absent from the lowly. No, he is quite near. And so when there are a group of shepherds that are devout, that know about God and follow him, he decrees, he says to his angelic hordes, these are the people I want the announcement of the birth of my son to go to first. I want them to know. Because in letting them know, I sent a message to the whole world that none are too far from my love. It is not for the privileged. It's not for the blessed. It is for all mankind. And God cares to those who are lowly. He cares for the distressed, the orphan, the weak, the widow. God says, I love them. And they are dear to my heart. And so it, if you sit today and I don't know where you're at or what's going on quite in your life and might wonder, where's God's love towards you? Or you might be a person who says, you know, I'm, I'm pretty average. When I went to school, I had a 2.2 GPA or whatever it might be. God reminds us that God is a lover of the average man. If I'm mindful um, of Wall Street, there's a statement up there that says something about the average man and why God uh, created so many of them. is because he loves so many of them. And I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. That's comforting that God reaches out to those who are average. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be mighty. But if you are, God, God's love is obviously towards you as well. But his love is for everyone. And it reaches out to each and every one of us. He cares for us. And that same thinking that God demonstrates should be ours as well. 
It is so tempting when we go through life to give our love just to those who might be like us. And it's often easy not to give our love for some of us to those who are less than us. And so I believe God sets the example here by saying to us, if it mattered to Him that the shepherds might know the birth of the Son, so too it must matter to us that those who may not hear the gospel, that those who may be on the other side of the tracks hear the good news of the gospel, and we as His church reach out to them as well. So the angel appeared to these shepherds. And notice his words. His words start out this way, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Well, like all angelic appearances in the Bible, great fear was conveyed the moment those people saw the angel. Often, angels are pictured as innocent, loving, almost childlike faces. But I can assure you, if we had Isaiah or Joseph, or Jacob, or Daniel, or the soldiers at Jesus' tomb, they would give us quite a different testimony of what it was like to talk to or see an angel. You see, when they saw an angel, the description was of that of great fear. Now, as I was reading through this, I came across John Calvin. And John Calvin's one of those guys, not even the smallest little thing in Scripture misses his gaze. And he talked about this thing of Fear and why is it so important? Why does God, uh, why is it always with God's announcement with angelic messengers? He says this. What this shows is that the fear enjoyed on God's children should be a moderate fear tempered by the knowledge that when God speaks, it is to bless and save us. Evil men and the reprobate are glad when they are a long way off from God and when their consciences lie inert. As soon as God gives them some sign of his presence, The surprise knows no bounds, and nothing can calm the panic they feel. So it is the high price they pay for immoderate fun. However, for the believer, as he hears these words, they think about God, and they cannot be happy unless they feel that he is well disposed towards them. Nevertheless, to be truly happy, they must first know what it is to fear the Lord. We cannot experience God's grace unless we freely acknowledge our wretchedness which should distress us no less than death itself. And when the shepherds encountered the holiness of the angels, they are confronted with this fear. It moves them. But that fear is not alone because it comes accompanied with joy, the joy that God loves them and has chosen them to hear first the glorious news of his son's birth. So for true religion to exist, the fear of God and the love of God go hand in hand. The angel says to the shepherds, this message is for all people. It's for everybody. And it's not to be limited to anybody. So in other words, all sorts of people and to everyone are supposed to hear this great message that the angels are announcing. And these poor shepherds, God says, I'm commissioning you. Of all the people in the world, I want you the ones who people say you're liars and thieves and stealers, I want you to announce the message of my son's birth. And here is the news, the angel says, that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying 
in a manger. Well, a couple of things we should notice about the message. First, the location of the birth, the town of David. God, through the angel, wants to be quite sure that he's fulfilling all the prophecies he had said. This child will be of David's line, and so much so that it will be born in David's town. This city where he is at in Bethlehem is where David grew up. He grew up in these fields around there, and that's where his family uh, came back. So too the long-awaited heir would follow in his footsteps. Notice next in the message his title. The title is Savior. And this is kind of hard to believe, but this is the only place in the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that the title Savior is given. The only place. And it carries the idea that of all the things this child is to do, of all the things that Jesus will do, the healings, the great teachings, his greatest claim to fame and the goal of his existence will be to save. And that's why his name will be called Jesus. Because Jesus' name means he will surely save. He will surely save because, as the angel says, he is Christ the Lord. And Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. And he will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He will be, brothers and sisters, the true shepherd of Israel, the man of sorrows, the great high priest who will be of the order Melchizedek. And he will be the great prophet which Moses spoke about. And he will be the eternal king which rules forevermore. Then the angels say that a sign will be given. And notice it's not the sign, but a sign. And that's a great reminder to us that Jesus gave plenty of signs that he was God incarnate in the flesh. But this was a sign to be given to him. And a sign will be this great glorious child, this one who is going to redeem the world, this one who is going to be king for eternal, is going to be laying in a feed trough, in a manger, now, as some of you might know, I grew up in Kentucky. I didn't grow up on a farm, but farms were all around me. And I can tell you, a feed trough uh, is pretty distinguishable. It's not the most pleasant of sight. Probably the greatest characteristic to a feed trough is it's durable. Because cows or goats or whatever livestock animal are feeding in it. And usually, we now have metal ones these days, but I'm sure those were wooden. There's rust or decay or something's around there. It's not the most beautiful, spectacular sight. It's just something that's durable, something that can hold something. And dear friends, in this manger, we see someone that would hold the sins of the world. That's what that manger had held. No sooner than the angel had finished this message then something amazing happened. I mean, it's quite a sight for someone to see an angel. And the records of angelic messages are, are quite rare in the Bible. But all of a sudden, the army of heaven appeared. And I, I guess sort of to get an idea what, what this is like, is the image I would, I would compare it to is like a firework over the 4th of July that goes off. You have one of those great fireworks that just explodes in the sky all by itself. And as soon as that one is about ready to descend to the sky, an eruption of fireworks happens. It's sort of like the finale, the finale that we often see at the 4th of July. All of a sudden, all kinds of fireworks are up there lighting up the sky. 
And I believe what God is doing here is because He knew if He sent the whole host of His army, His angelic army up first, it would absolutely overload the circuits and these shepherds. He sort of had to warm them up, so to say, to let them see one angel, and that angel calm them down. Don't be afraid. Remember the words, they were greatly terrified. And now the whole host, the whole heavenly army is there. And when it says heavenly host, it is what I mean. The direct translation is the army of heaven. So what was it like? Well, one can only imagine. I'm sure it was a sight that was seared into their brains for all eternity. To see that angelic host be before them. Now, often told, we're told of what they said was a song. But notice in our text, it doesn't say a song. It's, it just says they were saying. And some scholars, as I was reading on this text, say perhaps they were chanting. Now, some of you who have worn a military uniform or are currently wearing a uniform, folks in the military chant. There's cadence when you're running drill. There's chants when awards are, are given. And it's this whole idea of, 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 of announcing, of praising God. And there's something about when an army chants that there's a little, there's, there's encouragement with it, but there's also a little bit of fear with it. And we see it in the movies when they draw up lines. There, there's chanting going on. There's barking going on. We see it in football teams when they line up across from each one another. There's a barking to letting you know who you're about ready to face. And this army, this heavenly host, had something to say to mankind. And they had a song to sing for us to hear. And notice their motivation. It was an absolute explosion of praise. Glory to be to God in the highest. I mean, it's just like just overflowing from it. It's just pouring from them. We've seen this now in Mary, and we saw it in Zechariah. It's something they just could not contain. It just had to well up and pour over them. Jesus tells us that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. And the Apostle Peter tells us in his epistle that angels long to look for the good news of the gospel preached. Can you imagine what they must have felt when they saw the love of God incarnate that had left the glories of heaven and now was in that manger there to redeem mankind? You see, this joy just had to pour forth from them. William Hendrickson comments, We can assume at least that the very birth of Christ in a condition of poverty and deprivation must have caused these angels to stand in awe of God's indescribably marvelous love. And what was the outpouring of this joy? As I said before, it was them saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to Him who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. And what would this Son achieve? The angels tell us, peace on earth to men. Now often, this, this phrase is misunderstood in Christmas, I believe. You see, oftentimes when that statement is said, peace on earth to men, it, it's the idea of the absence of warfare. That we'll all be able to get in along in harmony here on earth. 
But I don't think this is what the angelic horde wanted to communicate. Because you see, for the angels, where was the battleground? Well, the battleground was on earth. This is Earth is where the prince of darkness rules. This is his realm. And the, the forces of God, the angels, would go in there and do battle. We, we know this quite clearly from Daniel. Remember when Daniel beseeched the Lord that he might have discernment on the vision that had given to him? And the angel says, I would have gotten here sooner, but Michael the archangel had the fight with the, the prince of the Persian kingdom. And I'm sorry it took me 21 days to get here. I was in haste to get here. You see, well, I think what the angels wanted to, us to understand this peace that would happen is now the enmity between both God and man would be abated. There would now be the opportunity for there to be peace between God and man. You see, so often in our world right now, we, we assume peace with God. But quite the contrary, there is no peace with God. God hates sin. And for all of us, we're sinners. And the only way we can have peace with God is through Christ. And so when the angels say, uh, 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 glory, to be, glory to God on highest and peace on earth to men, that peace is extended to us. It's extended to us in that baby that can abate the anger and the just wrath between you and I and between God. You see, when the angels present this, they want us to understand how great and how grand and how glorious our God is. And notice lastly what they say, the the sort of the phrase that almost every Christmas card that quotes this leaves out. It says this phrase, on whom his favor rests. You see, this, this peace rests on only a select few. That phrase, on whom his favor rests, begs the question, on whom does God's favor not rest? And why is God's favor not on all men? It it doesn't sound like, for God so loved the world. What I believe this phrase teaches is that God's peace and goodwill does not rest on all of mankind. In fact, as we many of us know, the Bible tells us just the opposite, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin, what we get from sin, is not blessings... What we get is eternal death, also known as hell. And because the Bible teaches we're sinful, we understand that we break His commandments. We don't even do the positive commands He tells us to do of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And we're told throughout Scripture, both in Revelation and by the prophets, that the same angelic harmony that prays the birth of Christ is also the same angelic army that's going to administer God's judgment on mankind by destroying evildoers. They are one and the same. And the only thing that covers mankind's sin is Jesus' blood and righteousness. He is the only way to have peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It is to believe to Jesus to repent of our sins and have his work on the cross cover our sin. To cover your sin and to cover my sin. You see, I believe the angel's announcement then motivates me and it should motivate you to make sure I have God's favor. I don't just take it for granted. I possess God's peace through His forgiveness. 
You see, I believe the omission is there because it takes away the power of the angel's announcement to convert sinners. Remember what they said, I have good news for you. And good news in the Greek is the word for gospel. Euangelion. Good news. And the good news is it's a warning to convert, to make sure we're right with God. Without that phrase... If God just wants to give us peace and goodwill, the question is, why do I need to even change? It's just there. You see, without this phrase, on whom God's favor rests, then God loves me as I am, sin and all. He's not angry or upset in my rebellion. I can just be how I want to be and everything will be okay when reality is nothing could be further from the truth. If you and I do not submit to King Jesus, and if we do not renounce his, if we renounce his grace and mercy, then this holy army is coming and will come to pour out God's judgment and it will not be pleasant. The good news though is that the angels brought to lowly and sinful shepherds that now this Messiah had been born. Emmanuel had come and he was going to redeem his church. He would forgive those who believed in Christ, and who seek to conform their lives after His will and His word. That is good news for the shepherds, dear friends, and it's good news for you and I, because it's only through faith in Christ can we have this peace with God and with our fellow man. So the shepherds, as a result of hearing this message, notice what they do. They take action. And they begin praising God and they head immediately to find out what's going on. And they spread throughout. Scripture tells us they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. Like today, that same story of the message of Christ's birth needs to be spread. It needs to be spread to all those who are around. And for all of us, we need to continue to communicate it, as we've seen in all our songs of Christmas time. We need to spread his praise. But there's a second thing that we haven't quite talked about that Mary displays to us of what we should do as a result of the angelic song. And that is this, that there should be an inward amazement. Notice what happened to Mary. She pondered all these things in her heart. Scripture says she treasured them all. It's like she took all these things that were going on and she took them in the house of her mind and made sure it was in the most secure place where she could at any time go back and review and renew and think over all those things that had happened in Christ or during Christ's birth. You see, I believe as we look at this, two things should happen as we think about Christ's birth. We should have amazement in our heart. We should have praise as we continue to see in all their songs. But the other thing we should have that Mary teaches us is an inward amazement. One that continues to reflect as we go through Christmas after Christmas. And for some of you, you've seen many Christmases. But that you would look back at this story and sort of reflect upon it. And reflect upon the good news of Christ. You know, I haven't lived that long. I'm 37 years old. That's not that old. I'm a young man by many standards. But for these years that I have had the privilege of seeing Christ in my life, you, you go back and you look back at him, and you look at back at Jesus and what all he's done, 
And you go in a, grow in appreciation. You grow in gratitude. And it's that appreciation and gratitude that I believe changes our hearts. And I would highly encourage you, no matter if this is your first Christmas as a Christian or your 50th Christmas as a Christian, to think back about how precious that day was when that dear Savior came alive in your church or in your life and that you would worship him afresh and anew. If you're uncertain that you don't have Christ in your life, then please make sure he is in there. The angelic army bids you to make sure he is in there. So let us make sure Christ is there, and let us give him the glory that's due. Let us pray. Father, thanks so much for your uh, great text. And Lord, I, I thank you for the privilege to preach on it. And Lord, I, I, I just trust that once again you would use this excellent text to remind us all the wonderful grace that is ours in Christ. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.